I'm Megan. I'm Colin. And this is Pet Sitter Sitter Confessional. Confessional. An open and honest discussion about life as a pet sitter. Brought to you by Time to Pet and Pet Perennials. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back. Today, we're super excited to have Molly Kelsey, the cat counselor, on the show to talk about cat behavior, things that every pet sitter needs to know to understand cat language better, and a little bit about cat culture around the globe. So, Molly, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Super excited to talk to you about all these things. Could you please tell us a little bit more about your background and and all that you do? Yeah, sure. So, um, like you said, my name is Molly, and... I am a total feline behavior nerd. I used to work as a vet nurse and on and off again, Cat Fostra used to pet sit. And yeah, I just a huge animal lover and basically my life resolves around them. <laughs> well, so what, what got you focusing on, on cats specifically? I think it was a combination of the work environment I was in and then my own cats. Um, just working as a vet nurse, I came across a lot of cats who had you know, a negative mental state. And it wasn't just at the clinic, it was also in the home from what the owners were telling us and things weren't getting resolved. And then just my own cats. Um, I've had some, I've had a couple of quirky cats. Um, and, you know, sometimes I was just like, why, why are you doing this? I want to know why you do this. And it kind of just went from there. Hmm. Well, so what's what's interesting to me is is, is your interest in, in cats. You're based out of New Zealand, and they have quite a contentious relationship with domestic cats. Uh, I, I know they were you know originally introduced back in like the 18th century, and it's kind of been a battle ever since. So, so what's the perception of cat ownership in, in New Zealand? Yeah, it can be quite polarizing. So. Um, cats are the most popular pet in New Zealand. They actually surpass dogs. And um, I can't remember the exact stat, but I think it's like the average household who has cats is more likely to have two than one. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so, you know, a lot of us have cats and we have more than one. Um, But we do have a lot of native wildlife that evolved without predators like cats. So they're not equipped to deal with, you know, the apex predator, this miniature, you know, murder mitten machine um (laughs) so um with cats being allowed outside access all the time but the majority of owners we've got this real problem of our native species being decimated Mm -hmm. by cats just doing you know what they evolved to do what's normal for them so we do have some people who um take things quite extremely in terms of how to manage cats. Um, We have a reasonable feral cat population here, um, which is you have on one side people being like, leave them be, leave them alone. They're not doing anything. And then you have the other side where they're like, actually they are. And because they're not owned or looked after, we need to manage them. Um, And unfortunately, feral cats can't be put into a sanctuary. So yeah. <laughs> um, it's it's very difficult. Yeah. Well, how, so how does that impact uh, society's you know perception of dealing with cats? Uh, do, do you find that they are equally as invested in the care and upkeep of their cats as opposed to you know other other cultures and, and areas around the globe? Yes and no. Um, it, so for me, when I was a kid, it was like a lot of people growing up in New Zealand. The cats were kind of just there. You had a pet cat. They were left to their own devices going in and out the house. They got whatever food you bought. And if they came up injured or anything, you know, you'd hopefully take them to the vet. But a lot of it's quite laid back um, compared to, I mean, it's different now, a little bit different now. But um, compared to overseas, um, just with clients I've dealt with, like in Australia and the States, there's a lot more focus on keeping cats um, indoors and um or keeping them contained to a property you know for protection from predators and vice versa stopping them going out um and a lot more people overseas do you know train their cats to go in harnesses and to go on walks and those sort of things so new zealand's a bit different at the moment but it is kind of catching up 
I'll say I noticed a lot of a change in a lot of our clientele over the years of their investment in the cats. Like, mm. and there, there's still a big chunk of people who believe the cat's kind of this also and of oh I have a I have a dog and your primary focus is dog. Oh, there's also this cat over here. Could you do you know? Could you look at it every now and then? Uh, <laughs> but then, yeah. but then there are an increasingly number, increasingly large number of people who are specifically cat people, and they're the primary focus is the cat, and they want you to come over two three times a day for the cat, and it's really great. To see that, I know it just takes time and education to to get to that point and encouragement. And I think also resources as well, which is why your background and focus on being a, a cat in a feline behaviorist is so interesting because now that's a new resource that a lot of people didn't know existed or have access to in the past. So what what is a, a feline behaviorist and what do you, you do and what do you focus on? Yeah, so um, basically feline behavioural specialists are professionals with an academic background, hopefully. Um, there's some people that call themselves that and they haven't studied, but, you know, what can you do? Um, and basically we help owners and other types of cat carers, so sitters, shelter staff, veterinary staff, to resolve or understand any kind of behaviour in cats that can cause concern or makes them difficult to care for. Mm. Well, because there are a lot of, uh, you know, mis, mis, uh, misconceptions and misunderstandings of cat mm. behavior. And I think the one that really comes to my mind is a lot of people tend to describe their cats as a jerk, right? Oh, my cat's just a jerk, right? They don't like people. He's just mean. Uh, and that kind of, once that cat gets labeled with something like that, it's hard to break that perception of not just with the owner, but also with everybody in that cat's life. And so equipping them with proper terms and giving them a better understanding is is a huge way to just improving that quality of life for that pet and that relationship that that owner has with them. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I get a lot of uh, clients who say, you know, my cat's a dickhead or um, <laughs> my cat hates me. Um, my cat hates my husband. You know, you know, all the, all these words that don't apply to cats, they don't have that. They're not mm-hmm. like us. Um, and I think that's part of the problem is we expect and interpret their um, behaviors as we would another person. Right. Well, yeah, it, we, we really do anthropomorphize the animals in our lives. And, and I think that leads to a lot of benefits, like the amount of care mm-hmm. and focus and attention and money we're willing to invest in them. But it also really does limit our ability to interpret their language to us that they're trying to communicate. Because I don't speak cat and the cat doesn't speak me. And we have to try and come to this understanding of what exactly we're trying to do without it getting lost in translation. And so that does take some going, okay, I'm not talking to a person. I'm not watching a person's interactions. I'm watching a cat's body language. Now, how, what do you know? What do I need to take from that? Yeah, it's a double-edged sword. Um, you know, like you said, it, helps us with bonding and care, but it also places a lot of expectations on a cat to behave a certain way or to react a certain way to a domestic situation. Um, And that's where we run into trouble. Yeah. Well, you mentioned some of the words people use to describe their, their, their cats. Uh, What, what about some of the, the common problems that you get from people who are looking for help? Uh, most common would be um, so aggression uh, can be directed towards other cats or people or furniture. Uh, people who have more than one cat, multi-cat tension in the household. So um, bringing a new cat home and things don't go well. Uh, also deal with quite a bit of house soiling and furniture damage. And a lot of cats, especially in New Zealand, cats who um, go off the property and cause chaos and then come back and the owner gets an angry note in the mailbox from a neighbor. It's about getting down to that to that root cause. So for you, mm. um, and I know it's common, you mentioned that when somebody has one cat, they're more likely to have two cats. So that multi-cat tension, how do you recommend people? And, and I think really, how can a pet sitter help integrate a new cat? to an already mm. cat existing family or a cat in an existing family. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, first off, it's often, this is too little, too late, but I, I'd say to people, assess if your cat or your cats are going to enjoy having a new cat in the home in the first place. Um, like if you've got a cat who's 12 and has lived a lo- only solo cat's whole life with you and you bring home a 10 week old kitten, this chances are that that cat is not going to be very happy at all 
um, you know, that they've had their life a certain way for so long and then you're like, here you go, here's this energizer bunny to want to play with you all the time and chase you and, you know, do all these things. So, yeah, assessing if it's going to be the best move for the cats in the first place is number one. Number two is not rushing introductions. Um, We get a lot of where people bring a cat home, they open the cage and just let the cat out through the whole household and the other animals are like, what on earth have you done? Like, who is this? You didn't even tell us that someone was coming and now what are we supposed to do? So not rushing introductions and being strategic with introductions is really important. Um, And finally, just making sure that there's enough resources for each cat. So not making them share a water bowl or a litter tray or a bed and making sure they all have their own spaces to go is really important. Yeah. And those are tough conversations to have sometimes with clients. I know for us, we've encountered people who have had, you know, two, three cats and the resources there just aren't enough to meet those needs. And they may think it's fine because, well, I'll just, I'll just top off the food more. I'll just Mm. give them more water. And it's like, well, but it's a space thing too, right? That's, that's what we have to understand here is there's this physical space. There's this places that they need to be by themselves and alone or have the opportunity. I think that's what's really more important here. Have the opportunity and ability to have time away from others and providing that safe space for them. And and that's just, you know, looking at the situation and being able to have that commu- that, co- that conversation with those clients. Yeah, it can be difficult and it can be quite emotional for people because, you know, if you have a plate of food and you have five people in a house, you're not going to be happy or eating from the same plate. You're not going to be happy sleeping in the same bed, using the same bathroom. Um, you know, it's it doesn't make sense for us. So why would it make sense for an animal that um, has a predator and prey brain? You know, they're trained to avoid conflict and keep safe all the time. So if you're forcing them to get in close quarters with another cat just to eat or drink, it can be quite um, problematic. Yeah, well, I think, like you said, just taking that first initial step of asking, is my current cat a multi-cat cat, right? And that's yeah. a, and as pet sitters, we hear this kind of stuff all the time of, oh, I'm thinking about getting another one, or I'm thinking about getting, you know, there's this opportunity for me to bring this. And and I think that's a great step for us to step in as the, the pet care provider and be an advocate for them and go, okay, I know that cat, that kitten's super adorable. And I know, you know, Tom is getting really old and you're worried about, you know, what, what happens when he passes, but you know, we really need to take a step back here and really assess this to see what's best for him. And I think that's putting them front and center of that decision of, okay, beyond above and beyond what you as the owner want, what's the best decision for your cat? And then going from there. Yeah, definitely. And, and it can be quite hard, you know, coming from, you know, like a pet professional perspective, because you don't want to make the person feel bad about, you know, what they're thinking about. But I, I find framing it as it either works two ways. You frame it from the animal's perspective or you can frame it from this is what could go wrong and how it could affect you if it goes wrong. Mm. Um, so sometimes people are more focused on how it affects them versus how it's going to affect their pet, which, you know, that's just how some people are. So sometimes it takes a bit of communication to figure out which avenue is going to be the best way to approach it. Yeah, exactly. What What's their motivating factor here? What's going to be the mm. biggest, you know, what are they going to weigh pro and con list the most possible? Because you're right. If you start describing the, you know, if you bring this cat in and you're going to have, if you don't do it properly, you're going to have a lot of, you know, may have more aggression, may have more soiling in places that you don't want to, may have more fights over these things, which means you're not going to be getting a lot of sleep at night because they're going to be going, you know, it's like, it's like kind of describing that scenario and setting that up for them as a way to just kind of open their eyes a little bit because they don't, they don't think about that. You know, the, the kitten halo effect is very real. It, it's that kind of distorts our reality a lot of times about what, what we're actually dealing with and actually seeing. <laughs> Definitely with new kittens. Um, a lot of people have good intentions, like they'll, you know, see a kitten that needs rescuing or um, a kitten that someone's giving away on Facebook and they're like, oh God, I can't let anyone take it and do something bad. So they bring this kitten home. Um and sometimes it goes well, sometimes it doesn't. Um, so a lot of the time, I think people have good intentions. Have you heard of Time to Pet? Dan from NYC Pooch has this to say. 
Time to bet has been a total game changer for us. It's helped us streamline many aspects of our operation from scheduling and communication to billing and customer management. Uh, we actually tested other pet sitting softwares in the past, but these other solutions were clunky and riddled with problems. Everything in Time to Pet has been so well thought out. It's intuitive, feature rich, and it's always improving. If you are looking for new pet sitting software, give Time to Pet a try. Listeners of our show save 50% off your first three months by visiting timetopet.com slash confessional. I think a lot of this stuff gets down to a lot of the lack of understanding of cat behavior and what they're trying to communicate to us, this cat language. And so why do you think it, it's hard for, for people to, to fully understand cat body language and cat behavior and read it appropriately? I think a lot of it is just assumptions. Um, a lot of people just think of cats as this, you know, like lone wanderer who wants to be left alone and um, can't be trained, can't um, be, you know, negotiated with for something and that they're not friendly like dogs, you know, like there's all these like misconceptions. Mm -hmm. And I think that kind of skews our interactions with them because we kind of go in thinking all these things about them without giving the cat a chance. And we often don't take the time to just observe them and listen to them about what they want. And if they're, you know, acting, acting out or behaving badly, we, we don't look at it and go, why are you doing this? Why are you asking for help? Like what's wrong? We just go, oh, he's shredding up the couch. We don't think, why are you doing this? Like, what have I not provided you in this home that you have had to resort to doing this? Mm. Yeah, exactly. Checking our biases. And because mm. if we just walk in and go, oh, well, this is just a tiny cougar who hates me and wants to eat me and, you know, and destroy everything in a moment's notice, I'm going to react very differently around that animal than I am if I go, hmm, it's trying to actually communicate something, right? It's not just, quote, unquote, the way it is, right? There's a reason behind this. And I need to scratch the surface a little bit more to understand what that is. Yeah. And there's also just this expectation that because we, feed them and house them and look after them that the cat owes us physical contact and should put up with us picking them up and kids grabbing their tail and, you know, all, all these things. And cats have no obligation to do any of that. They're their own being. And I think a lot of the issues come down from people going, well, I pat my cat and then he bites me. And it's like, well, did you check with him if he'd had enough petting? Did you assess if he was agitated before moving in and putting your hand over his head and patting him you know <laughs> we just kind of take them for granted then go oh why did you scratch me well because he's sick of it <laughs> or he just woke up you just woke him up and he's like oh yeah we're not tr we're not treating them as the individuals that they are and instead so again mm. imposing ourselves our expectations and, and the language that we think is again going oh well, i want this right now uh i you know doesn't really matter what you want, unfortunately, is what a lot of this gets down to. And so I think that's where, as, as pet sitters, we really do have the ability to help our, our, our clients bond well with their pets by helping them understand that kind of language. Yeah, it's this unique um, kind of insight that we have when we pet sit. I, like I used to pet sit on and off for about six, seven years. And just spending time with the cats while the owners are away, you do pick up on things that they may not they might not notice because they live with the cat every day and they're kind of used to it. So, you know, we can communicate to them and say, oh, I, I just noticed this. And then you can relate it back to a cat that you know and you can be like, um, I also met a cat that did something similar and this is what we did and the cat was much happier. So you don't come across as like you're being terrible or, you know, like, you're not doing right by your cat, blah, blah, blah. You're kind of going like, this is what helped another cat I knew. And I think this could help your cat. And I think that is the best way to go with things like that. Yeah. Relating it to past experiences and the knowledge and resources. And I, and I think sometimes going, look, I don't really know what's going on here. Let me do a little bit of research or get connected with a, an expert on this or refer you to them if this is something that I'm really having a hard time cracking. But we have that opportunity. Our, our, our clients love their pets. They, they, they invest a lot into them. They trust us with them. And we get to come in as professionals and give them a professional set of eyes, hands, ears, and smells sometimes and, and help assess them and help them, commute, again, use a different language and approach than they may be used to from past experiences. 
Yeah, and just being able to, you know, kind of point them in the way of resources or, you know, specialists who can help them because a lot of the time people don't consider it. Um, You have people who get dog trainers and dog behaviorists, you know, that's quite common, but with animals like cats and, you know, other small animals, people don't often think about it like that. They'll go, oh, I've, I've been to the vet. The vet said there's nothing wrong with him physically. So it's just the way he is where it could be a simple case of, the litter box is too small or um, the scratch post is unstable so the cat won't use it because it tips over. That's a really interesting point of we are able to go, I, I know you've met all the basic needs on the outside, but are they being met appropriately? Like the scratch post is such an, an interesting example of, you know, they need to have access to that. Somebody goes, okay, I bought one and they check it off their list and they never think about it again. And it's like, well, yeah, but you know, let's think about the scratch post. Is it appropriately sized for the cat? Is it in a good position where the cat wants to go? Is it stable? You know, is it of the right material for them? Is there all these other questions that we can start approaching them with? And then a lot of times you'll see that little light bulb go off and they'll go, oh no, no, the base is really wobbly. That makes a lot of sense. Let me go fix that, right? It's like, that's what we can bring to them. And that, that helps a lot because once we can start giving the, asking the right questions, they can start answering them a lot of times on their own and that alone starts that that bonding, that better relationship and starts improving their lives together. It's basically just, you know, when you know better, you do better. And the majority yeah. of pet owners do do better yeah. when they, um, you know, when they find out, you know, something needs to be altered or adjusted. Um, and yeah, just, you know, being in the house and being with the cats, it gives us that unique insight that, say, a vet or a friend of the owner won't have. Um, and that's where kind of our power lies to make a positive change. Yeah, well, so so for you, you know, we talked about language and, and behavior and how it's kind of misunderstood. What, what do you, how do you recommend people start speaking cat better? What are some of the basics that everybody should look for, know, understand if they're going to be caring for cats? First, uh, body language and facial expressions are a huge indicator of the mood a cat is in. Um, you often see pictures of, you know, cats who are relaxed. They've got, you know, the tails away from the body and they're just, you know, like laying down and the ears are forward, mouth closed, and that, you know, they just look happy and relaxed. You know what it kind of looks like. But you'll see cats that are quite crouched down low and their tails flicking and people go, oh, he's just playful or he's annoyed that I haven't fed him. And it could be that he's anxious or scared or frustrated um, so body language is a real big indicator and I often just give people body language guides and I say, just have a look at your cat whenever you see them and think, what is he feeling right now? And then from there, you can kind of adjust how you interact with them because it can make all the difference just going, oh, he looks a bit agitated. I'm not going to engage and pat him right now. Instead, I'm going to put out um, a toy for him to play with or put on some soothing music and give them some space. Um, just kind of keeping in mind how they're feeling. And then that kind of just builds that mutual respect as well, because you're respecting their need for space or engagement. And they will appreciate that. Yeah, well, true communication happens when it changes an action of the other party and they receive it. And so just by just it's it's one thing to teach a client and to give them that body language guide and go here. Now you can know whether your cat is happy or scared or angry. The, the, The really powerful moment comes in. Okay, now what do I do with that information? Do I pet them? Do I not pet them? Do I assess them for injury? Do I assess them for something else? Do I look at their food? Do I look at this other? All those stuff are the second step that we have to help our clients get in the habit of doing because that's when that true communication happens. And then, like you said, once the cat realizes, oh, they're actually, it it is this this moment of like message received. They're actually listening and paying attention to me and it's getting through. I, I can now work through this a lot easier than before. Because you know, sometimes cats kind of go from those those early stages, those early signs of fear, and they go straight to aggression. Well, it's because everything else in the middle was ignored for such a long time that now they only have this way of reacting. And so we've got to help dial this back and give them that respect so that they don't have to go from zero to, to 100. 
I do deal with a lot of clients who have got cats who they say out of nowhere, this cat has started biting me. And in reality, unless it's a thing like sudden onset pain injury that's causing the cat to bite, it's usually things have been building for a time. The cat's gone, well, I've altered my ear position and I've changed my posture to show you that I don't want to engage right now or I'm scared or something. And then that gets ignored. Then they start swishing their tail and maybe growling towards whatever is causing the issue. And then that gets ignored. And then they go, okay, well, you you haven't noticed or you've ignored all my other cries for help. So I'm going to go for bite or scratch. And the owner is, you know, in shock because they're like, where did this come from? And the cat's like, I've been telling you for like four weeks now that there's a dog that sits outside the window and stares at me and it's really stressing me out. Um, And yeah, it's just, keeping a note on how your cat's feeling through their body language it's it's a very powerful tool and i think it's very underutilized yeah and that gets back to helping the client understand the impact to their life if they don't do something right it's like okay well uh, what do you mean i need to pay attention to my cat's body language well do you want them to get to the point where they're so reactive now that they are at, you know out of quote unquote out of nowhere we can prevent all of that and and give a give the cat a really good chance to make this relationship work really well if you start actively and intentionally looking for this. And obviously, you know, cat people are going to are going to do that. And I think a lot of the issues come in with people who view their cats, like we said, as an also and. And we have to try and convince them of why invest that time into understanding their cat. Why is that important to them? So for, for you, if, if somebody's reluctant to kind of put in that effort, how do you have that conversation with them about why it's important and relevant to them? I first find out what their expectations are through, you know, if they do want to attempt to change anything. Mm. And I look at also how much time and energy they are willing to put in because there's there's no point in forming, you know, a fantastic plan that I would follow or you would follow to make a positive change if the owner is only going to put in 50%. So finding out first where, like where they kind of stand, where they're going to draw the line um, and then kind of working around that for the cat's best interests. Um, Cause you know, not all of us are going to have the time to do what someone else is going to do. And some owners don't want to invest money into getting new equipment or, um, you know, even getting behavioral help, you know, that costs money. Some people aren't keen on that. So kind of just finding out what they're going to be willing to do and then adjusting what you advise based on that. Mm. Yeah. that. How much of a problem is this to you? Is it a $10 problem? Is it a $100 problem? Is it a $1,000 problem? What would you be willing to pay, do, sacrifice in order to make this better. And like you said, that is different for everybody. And, and we as the, the, the sitters and the people who are coming in with some of this advice, and I'm sure for you as the, the behavioral specialist going, I'm not going to assume what this person is capable or willing to do. I just have to lay out what the options are and leave it to them to decide. And then we've kind of, we do at some point have to step back and go, well, it's up to them as the owner to, to, to move forward with one of these options. Yeah, I learned that very early on working with animals as a vet nurse is giving people advice and suggestions for how to do things. And a lot of the time people would just be like, no, that's too hard. So they wouldn't do anything. Whereas if I'd kind of gone, how much are you willing to do? And they'd say from one to 10, I'm going to do a five. So you advise for up to five. Mm. Then the next client will only do three. So you advise one to three. Um, so assuming that they're all going to be a 10 is, um, can sometimes result in the animal not getting anything. So it's, you know, making it work around the person because they're the one who ultimately is going to impact the animal's life. Yeah. And letting me know, okay, a five, an effort of five may be just fine, but it's going to take you twice as long than if you buckle down and we do this and we, you know, knock it out of the park right now. But if we're going to be sitting at a one or a zero, you know, that's not enough to move the needle on this. And just, you know, being frank with them about that. And then, yeah, they're going to have to decide. That's that's tough for us. We don't like to see that because obviously we're at tens and everything. We would, sac- you know, we, we would obviously go and do all this. That's 
kind of why we're in the industry <laughs> that, that, that we're in. Yeah, we're, we're not in it for the for the bank rolling, that's for sure. Um, yeah. We're in it to make a difference and because we love animals. And yeah, it's just kind of managing also our expectations of our clients, um, you know, realizing that no one's perfect and that our priorities are going to be different to theirs. And that's okay, you know, that makes us, you know, it's more interesting. If, if we're all the same, it'd be pretty boring. So <laughs> kind of just, you know, like... Um, not assuming and working with them, not against them, is going to be more beneficial for the animals. I wanted to dive into a couple different um, cat behavior specific scenarios for you, and just kind of get some your your input and how you approach these because I think they're kind of kind of common or ones that people don't really think about as being an issue or could be an issue. And, and I think for, for me, what I've enjoyed about this conversation and, and way I view a lot of this stuff is, you know, there may be, there might not even be a problem right now, quote unquote, right? Everything may be perfectly fine, but what we need to be helping our clients do is help them set up for success for the for the long term. You know, I've been having more and more conversations with clients recently about, well, I know that the, the, the cat or the dog is, is reactive around this and it doesn't bother you right now, but, but how would you handle this if you had to give insulin shots or medication, or if you had to start taking to the, the cat to the vet on a weekly basis because of a, a condition that they develop? What are we going to do then? And that's where we need to be thinking about kind of more long-term in this because you know, clients, again, they're busy, they're focused, they're enjoying the here and now, which is totally fine. But we need to help start preparing them for future things to make sure it's not an issue, even though it's, you know, it's not even on their radar right now. Yeah, I often liken it to things like house insurance. Like they're like, oh, well, it's fine now. I, I don't need it now. But then when your house gets robbed, you, you do need it. <laughs> so you're better to have preventative, you know, like put the work in now so that if something does happen or, you know, Animals age, life changes. Sometimes we have to do things like medicating or traveling a lot. And if we prepare our animals for that, then there's a much higher chance that we're going to be happier, they're going to be happier, and things are going to be a whole lot easier. So let, let's talk resource guarding in cats because we hear a lot about resource guarding in in dogs, and many of our listeners understand what that looks like, what that behavior looks like in dogs. So let's focus in on cats and what does resource guarding look like in cats? Some of the early signs and how do we start helping our clients, you know, work through that? Yeah, it's generally a lot more subtle in cats, um, like with a lot of things, um, <laughs> and. It can look as simple as um, it happens quite a lot in multi-cat households where people, like you said, have the one bowl or they have a bunch of resources grouped together, like the water and the food in the same area. And it can look like a cat just sitting in the room staring at the resource and then they will react negatively to whoever goes near the bowl that they perceive to be a threat towards that resource. Um it can even look like where a cat has had a negative experience in the past where they've been eating and then the food's been taken away and they didn't know when it was coming back. So they'll start being very protective of when the bowl is down on the ground because they're worried that they might not get more food and they could, you know, suffer as a result. So I often say with people with resource guardian cats, prevention is better than trying to fix it. So making sure there's enough resources, don't, put your hand down and take the bowl off them while they're eating. Um, they're not as likely as dogs, you know, to physically do anything towards you, but they are going to be frustrated. Um, and that can manifest in things like furniture damage, house soiling, avoiding you, um, getting, you know, they'll start hassling you for food and being very demanding about putting the food down. And then they'll kind of stare at you to go away so they can eat. Um, you know, just things like that. It's more subtle in cats, but it can manifest in things that people struggle with quite a lot. Yeah, or unfortunately, view is kind of adorable, right? I've seen plenty oh, of videos yeah. of like the, the, the mewing and like, the, 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 oh, they're super excited about the food and look how interested and active they are. And, you know, oh, it's my, it's a little aggressive, but oh, it's so cute. How hungry, you know, oh, look at them, you know, guard their food. And it's like, Ooh, we're, we're, again, we're anthropomorphizing this a lot right now, and we need to make sure that we are not putting ourselves, you know, if you have kids or if you have other pets in, in danger, uh, or, or I think at the end of the day, making that pet's life less than it can be. 
right? They are now living in stress and around stress, and that impacts them at every second of the day. Definitely. Yeah. Stress affects the whole body as well. Like when you think about you're feeding them, if they're eating while they're stressed, their body's not going to absorb nutrients as well. Mm. Um, And they might rush their eating because they want to get as much food and then go away as fast as possible. So you can get ones where, you know, they rush down their food and they regurgitate it because they've eaten too fast. Um, There's, you know, lots of ways that we can kind of avoid that, but it just comes from looking at things from their perspective and not from what's easiest for us or most convenient or aesthetic fast. It's what is going to work for a cat, not a person. You already know that Pet Perennials makes it easy for pet sitters to send sympathy and other milestone gifts. But did you know they've designed a new line of car air fresheners? These integrate long-lasting car-filling scents with adorable animal designs and clever expressions that deliver a little inspiration while you drive. They actually did send Megan and I a set of these, and we've been using them in our cars, and I have been using the Cat Your Perfect design, which our daughter absolutely loves, and Megan has the Hamster Enjoy the Little Things because strawberry is her and our son's favorite. You can give an air freshener to new clients or send something small for a birthday or holiday gift. Order a case of your favorite designs for a buck ninety nine, or have Pet Perennial send it as a gift package to your client with both a handwritten card and gift wrap for twelve seventy five, which does include shipping. Check them out at petperennials.com and be sure to register for that free business account to unlock the all-inclusive discounted package prices and access to the wholesale catalog. You only pay for what you order. Another scenario that I know we encounter quite a bit are, are timid cats. Cats that, you know, go away from you or watch from a distance or aren't really interested in approaching you or interacting with you. And, and I know many people will say, well, this is, that, that's fine, right? A timid cat is, is fine. Uh, so is this something that we need to be concerned with? Or is there something we can do to help get that timid cat out of its shell? Or, or should we even be bothered by that? It really depends why they're timid in the first place. If you're looking at a cat that had poor socialization when they were young to people, so a cat that lived, um, you know, outside, had very little interaction with people and then was brought into a domestic environment, it's very likely they are going to be timid towards people because that's how they were raised effectively. Um, then you've got cats who might be injured or in pain and are timid because they don't want to be touched. Um, or they've been, you know, patted in the past and it hurts. So they'll avoid people because they're sore. Um, so I think establishing why they're timid in the first place, checking with the owner that, you know, it hasn't just come out of nowhere, which could indicate an injury. Um, that's one of the main things I look at. And then just with things to help, um, respecting their space is really important. So if they go under the couch, don't stick your hand under there and try and be nice and be like, do you want to come out and play? I've got food. The last thing that cat wants is you getting closer. If they seek space away, don't go towards them. That's the opposite of what you want. Mm-hmm. Um, again, forming those positive associations. So um, if they do come out, give them a treat, you know, toss a treat whenever they come out, whenever they try and get closer. Um, just giving them a treat. You don't even have to engage with them physically. Just be like, here you go. I'm rewarding you for coming near me um, and let them set the pace. Um, and being, you know, if, if they're comfortable with it, you know, being around while they're eating or playing so that they relate that to the person. Um, and just getting down on their level. I notice a lot of people will stand over timid cats and be like, I don't know why he's hiding in the cage. And they're standing like, you know, this tall person standing right. over this cat. And the cat's like, oh, my God. Whereas if you sat on the ground at the other end of the room, that's a lot less threatening. Um, so just getting down to their level and letting them dictate how things proceed, really. Yeah. No, I like that. You know, we mentioned not reaching in after the the cat that's kind of trying to hide. For us, we've had to do a lot of education with their owner, right? We come over to do a meet and greet and they're like, here, come, you know, here's Millie, you know, here's Millie, here we go. And they're pulling them down from the closet or ripping them from underneath the couch. And at that moment, you can feel like you're stuck between a rock and a hard place of going, how do I tell this client to stop traumatizing this cat right now? now? Because I want that cat to like me, right? Or at least have this be less stressful. And I've really found just saying something like, 
meeting new people is really hard for a lot of pets. Please leave them where they are. We'll just sit right here and we'll just talk. And if they want to come out, they will. And that's something that we can work on with our visits. And just real simple, you know, rather a, a little forcefully sometimes <laughs> to let them know, no, please stop, right? <laughs> but because we want to make sure that, that space is 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 safe and is sacred for that cat. They're, again, they're trying to tell something. This is a great opportunity for us to immediately swoop in and help educate and tell that client, you know, your cat's saying this. Your cat is afraid right now. Your cat's scared. Stop. So we can we can have this, and because if we continue to reach in and do this stuff, we'll go escalating through these behaviors really quickly to we'll get back to where all of a sudden this cat is now just lashing out at me. A, a, someone walked in the door, and now the cat's attacking me. What is this? Well, did you respect that space for the previous you know three four months two years? If not, that you know that this could have been an issue. And unfortunately, trying to link these actions with their response sometimes is hard to do in the client's mind because it happened so long ago, right? And it was just, they didn't even think about it. They weren't paying attention. So we have to tease out some of those things at times. It again comes back to that thing about, you know, like cats will let you know at a low volume and then mm. we ignore that and then it just builds up and then suddenly it's on full blast and the owner's like, oh, I don't understand why. And we're like, well, if it's a cat been, you know, acting scared for the past few months, yeah, he's been hiding in the wardrobe. So I go and get him out. Yeah. Um, and then it, then he gets annoyed and runs off. And it's like, well, that, that was your sign that right. something is very, you know, he's not happy and forcing him to come out of a safe space. It just added to the issue. Well, speaking of safe spaces, you know, we've been talking about how to respect the space for the cat, make sure it's nice for them. But when cats make a big transition, it can be kind of hard, hard on them. So how do we, if the cat moves, um, if there's a new, you know, maybe a, a new baby or a big change in the home that they are, how do we help with those big transition in a cat's life and help make sure that they, the owner is doing the best that they can? Best thing I can suggest is preparation. So when we move house, we know we're moving house. We do all the paperwork. We go over to the new place. We check out where we're going to put everything. We let our friends know, et cetera, et cetera. Cats, a lot of the time, um, wake up one morning and there's a bunch of moving boxes, stuff's being put away. They're put in a cage. They're taken to a completely new house after a potentially stressful car ride for however long. Mm. And then they're let out into this new house and the owner's like, there you go. And the cat is completely like, what has happened? My whole world has just been turned upside down. I've had no chance to prepare at all. No one gave me any warning. And this place smells completely different. And it's terrifying. So if we look at preparing them, um, that can look like, say, for moving house or a baby's coming home, um, getting scent familiarized. So taking their things that they've used to the new home and vice versa so they can get kind of a mixed scent, um, creating a safe room for them at the new place where they will kind of be for the first few days with all their normal stuff, their scratch posts, their beds, blankets, their food bowls, all that smells familiar things like that, and then progressing to exploring the rest of the house. Um, and then with babies playing uh, normal baby sounds on the phone at a low volume and then turning the volume up slowly while giving them lots of treats so they get used to the sounds. Um, bringing home baby gear like the cotton stuff and getting the cat used to the sounds that, you know, baby toys make and, you know, all those things that we kind of take for granted. Um, the last thing that the, the cat should experience is the baby coming home. It's all those other things that the cat needs to have a handle on and be comfortable with before the little person comes in. Because um, otherwise, it can be quite a shock. Right. Well, that's conversations that we have with our client. And I think many of us, we, we've recently experienced an increase in people who are moving to our service area. And they're completely new and they want us to care for their for their pets. And we've been having more of these conversations with them that kind of revolve around, okay, you want us to come and start caring for your cat. How just, and taking the, again, these few moments to just go, how have you prepared them for the move? Right? Like, like, and setting some expectations too. Of like, look, you just moved. It's, it's okay if this cat doesn't come out for a little while or this cat's going to be hidden or it might not be eating as regularly, but we're still going to watch its poop and monitor its water intake and all that stuff. But it, just having the communications and let the client know that your cat, cat's you know, going to be acting 
a little off and and that's to be expected. So we we as the sitters need to make sure we aren't compounding on top of that and need to recognize that we're already dealing with a cat that's kind of at an ele- elevated fear level. They're not at baseline, right? And again, setting our expectations for what that interaction is going to look like. Just kind of sometimes you need to people don't realize like they're like, "Oh, I didn't realize that would be an issue." Um or they're like, "Oh, the cat knew we were moving. We were packing boxes and um, we born to the new place and we've got his old bowl and, you know, all these things. And it's like, but d- did you like climatize your cat to this new place? Like, did you yeah. gradually expose them? Um, did you have fell away plugged in to reduce anxiety? Um, did you have a routine that you've kept now you've moved? Like when you play, when you feed, like what, what has changed that you haven't set to maintain or keep similar um, can, you know, add up. Yeah, and it's all about helping them in that in that scenario and helping them understand that. So when we have those those ha- those, those kind of tough conversations, right? Maybe we have a client and we start noticing some behavioral issues or some things that aren't quite adding up. I, I know people can be sensitive or dismissive, or they have a, a multiple, you know, a multitude of, of reactions when we bring this mm-hmm. up to them. So how, how do we have those kind of tough conversations with people about? how their cat is acting and what the realistic expectations are for that. Yeah, I think asking questions is a really good way to start. Um, So say you've observed a cat that is very skittish to certain sounds um, or won't drink from the bowls that are provided, but will drink from the shower when you leave the shower. Um, But you don't notice it drinking throughout the day. You can ask the owner, you know, um, so while I've been staying with Scooter, we've had a really nice time together. I, I did notice I um, I dropped a book and Scooter got really scared and went and hid under the bed for seven hours. Has this happened before? Mm-hmm. And then they'll say, oh, yeah, whenever I shut the door or um, I clang a pot in the kitchen, he gets scared. And then you can be like, okay, so um, what I might advise that you do or what I found helpful with Scooter is that – I played some clanging noises or dropping noises at a low volume on my phone while we were playing. And then I would give him a treat and I'd slowly turn the volume up so that he wasn't as bothered by it. He was desensitized Mm -hmm. to it and, you know, offering them an easy way for them to help their cat that isn't going to be difficult and you're not accusing them. And then the same for, um, I like you've got a cat that plays inappropriately, um, a cat that will, you know, you'll be playing with a wand toy and then it grabs your arm and you can say, I was, I was playing with, you know, Mary the other day and she got a bit excited, a bit overstimulated and she grabbed my arm instead of the toy. Um, have you ever had this happen to you before? And the owner would be like, yeah, she grabs our ankle whenever we walk past the door and you'd be like, oh, okay. Um, so what, what I might do and what I might suggest to you is maybe to play with her at before bedtime and in the morning so that she gets some of the energy out so she's less likely to bite you. So kind of just, yeah, giving them ways to help and not coming from like uh, you've done something wrong kind of angle. It's more of I observe this, this is how I helped your cat with it, and this is how you can help with it. <laughs> yeah, not being accusatory, even though sometimes you may have some suspicions, right? You can't start there. You can't start with, so w- tell me the last time you, you, tell me the last time you hit your cat, right? You're not going there, right? You're, you're going, you know, I've noticed this behavior. Have you, have you had encountered this before? Okay. This is how I've addressed. I, I love that progression because there's, there's no accusation. There's no pressure. There's just, Hey, here's me, my experience, what I did. You know, you now have a tool in your in your war chest to, to move forward with this and to help you with 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 your cat. Yeah, and uh, the majority of people will appreciate it. You know, yeah. cat cat people are you know they love their cats. They're like their babies, effectively. Um, <laughs> so they're going to be grateful for you being honest, um, and you know that you've picked up on this thing that suggests that the cat isn't living optimally mentally and physically. And it's okay, you know, if you say, I think your cat needs further assistance to, you know, to thrive. Um, And that's where, you know, people like me or a veterinary behaviorist, that's where that would come in. And you're not being afraid to say, I think you should get in touch with these people. They can help you. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, recognizing where your your expertise stops, right? If you're you're in here and and being observant and using the proper terms are what what are, are our responsibility in speaking up, right? So we need to be observant, we need to speak up, and when we do, we need to use the proper terms so that they can take that information and communicate effectively to the next person that they seek out for help or to whomever they reach out to next, so that that cat can get the care that it needs. Definitely. Yeah. It's, um, it's a, yeah, like I said, it's a powerful position to be in, um, taking care of these animals. Yeah. Molly, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show today and for sharing all about cats and how we as pet sitters can help them live better lives with their clients and how we can have those tough conversations because those can be really uncomfortable (laughs) at, at times, but they're so necessary and so needed to set that cat and client up for success for not just today, but for years down the line. However, there's a lot more information here. You have an entire degree in this, and this is what you focus on specifically. So how can people get in touch, follow along with everything that you're doing and learn more about what, what this means to, to speak cat and to, um, to, to, to see what you do. Yeah. So, uh, my website is www.thecatcounselor.com. It's spelled differently to the U S spelling. So it's a C O U N S E L L O R. And you'll find me also on Instagram where I spend way too much time um, at the (laughs) counselor again, Um, also on Facebook. And yeah, those are the best places to reach out to me. Awesome. And I'll have links to those in the show notes and on the website so people can can click right to those. Molly, again, this has been a real pleasure and I'm very thankful for you taking your time out of your day to come and talk with us. Uh, And again, I, I just can't thank you enough. So, so I appreciate your time and thank you for coming on the show. No worries. It's been really fun. As cat care services become an increasingly larger and larger portion of pet care services around the globe, it is up to us as pet care professionals to learn behavior and to be able to send our clients good resources and give them good information, especially as people add cats and multiple cats to their homes. And every situation is obviously different, but that's where we can come in, assess, use appropriate language and terms, direct them to specialists if they need that, and partner with pet parents to make sure that their cat is living their best life possible. We want to thank our sponsors, Time to Pet and Pet Perennials, for making today's show possible. And thank you so much for listening this week. We hope you have a wonderful rest of your week, and we'll be back again soon. I'm <laughs> sorry.